Father, this morning in this place, we honor you and thank you and worship you. For you are great and greatly to be praised. In this place, Father, we give you all of the glory and honor and praise. Thank you that we can come together, together this morning like this, Lord, to worship you and to praise you, to give thanks to you. We are so grateful. I ask Holy Spirit this morning that you will have your way in this place, that you will transform us, that we will leave here and never be the same. We honor you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may take your seats. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all on this beautiful Sunday morning. I've been talking about it for weeks. And it's not in the 70s this morning. The weatherman got it right. I feel like, like I, I don't even, I'm so excited I can't contain myself. Can you, can you tell? <laughs> it's really awesome to be with you guys. Thank you for coming out and spending this morning with us. As most of you already know, we have a very special guest in the house, Dr. Michael Brown. You know, um, I remember when I moved, once I planted the church, which was a few years after I'd moved to the United States, I really began to search for people in the body of Christ that I could look to, that I, that I really believed that I could trust. And, you know, I began to follow Dr. Brown's, you know, radio show, Ask Dr. Brown, and I began to get some of his books. I, I remember buying the book on Hyper Grace, which was, I mean, I just absolutely ate that book up. And it was just so true and so pure and and it, it meant so much to me. And then I read another one of his books. And again, it was the same thing. It's not easy today to find people that really have a desire for absolute truth. And so that is the reason why I like did everything in my power. Pray. I asked God for a long time, Lord, I want to reach out to him. But you've got to make the door open. I can't open the door. But I really feel I need to connect with Dr. Brown. And he's been coming. I believe it was around... 2018 that he started coming here the year after we moved into this building or the year that year we moved in I can't remember exactly the timeline but it was around about that time and he's been coming every year and he has a very busy schedule he has a lot to do but he does come here and we are so grateful uh, we are so thankful that you come every year and so really church give him a warm welcome we want to honor him as he comes forward this morning thank you Dr. Good morning. It, it really has been a joy to be here on a regular basis, I'll be with this precious family, the Pappas family, and then this precious church family. And I've gotten to know folks here well. And this is one of the few places I've come regularly, but it's been great to see the, the growth. And, um, you know, I got saved as a, uh, as a rock drummer in 1971, uh, long-haired, Jewish, heroin-shooting, LSD-using, hippie rock drummer. And, um, you know, I understand, Pastor, that you like someone playing piano while you speak. So maybe I could have someone banging on the drums the whole time I speak. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, but really, it, it is wonderful to be here, and I feel like I'm, I'm with family. So really quickly, because I've, I've got a lot we want to open up in the Word, uh, 
make sure you stop at the book table on the way out. We've got three very different books. Uh, each one will minister to you in a very different way, but take a look, see what speaks to you most directly or what sparks something in you, and go home with the book if you can. Uh, it, it is us making a further deposit in you. I always feel the greatest anointing when I write even more than, than when I preach. So grab one of those. Uh, how many of you have the Ask Dr. Brown Ministries app? If you have it, okay. How many don't have it? How many don't know what an app is? <laughs> All right, if it's the last, don't worry about it. But everybody else, grab your cell phones, okay? Just grab your cell phone or tablet, whatever you got with you. You can take it out now. And I want to encourage you to do this. You, you may forget later, but we're in critical times. We are in absolutely critical times. It's always urgent. Every day is urgent on a certain level. We're living between heaven and hell and between the first and second coming of the Lord. Every day is urgent, but you have times that are especially intense. And we're in one of those right now. A life and death situation for morality and sanity in America and, and potential of a world war exploding in the Middle East and around the world. It's a critical hour, and we're putting out cutting-edge, essential information. If, if God ever brought me into the kingdom for such a time as this, it's right now. So every day there's new material, new, new videos, new articles. The very questions you're asking, we're addressing. So the app is Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, A-S-K-D-R Brown, one word, Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. Just go ahead and download it. Then later today, check it out. Scroll down the homepage. You'll see here's our latest uh, video, our latest podcast, our latest article. I've been writing day after day key articles about Israel. I wrote one uh, yesterday that'll you'll be on the app tomorrow. Uh, just critical information. The broadcasts will be things that the questions you're asking, we're answering there. When you scroll down, you'll see our, our Real Messiah Jewish Outreach site. You'll see our Consider This Videos, short animated videos on key subjects. So be enriched by it. If you enjoy it, share it with others. Everything on the app is free. Uh, as others support us, we're able to put out more. So make sure you, you grab that, look at it, use it. If you enjoy it, just give it a good rating, share it with friends. The whole goal is, is to extend the kingdom and glorify Jesus. Amen? So uh, I'm going to bring a distinct, separate message this morning, completely different from last night, a distinct, separate message this morning, and then one that will be a distinct, separate message in the second service, like two sides of the same coin, all right? So if, if this message ministers to you and interests you, then by all means, get the message uh, from the second service so those that can just stick around for it. The worship was beautiful. Be nice to worship again. Amen. All right, so let, let us pray. Father, Lord God, we as your children want to know what's on your heart. We as your children want to get marching orders for this day. We as your children want to be in harmony with you. So I ask you to share your heart with us through your word. I ask you to give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying and give us a heart to receive. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Romans chapter 9. This is my, my fifth time speaking now 
this week being at a special conference for a few days and then the service last night, we have been praying for Israel and praying for the Palestinian people. We have been talking about some of the things happening in Israel right now. We haven't focused on it specifically. In, in this first message, I want to reinforce to you as a church that loves Israel and prays for Israel, I want to reinforce to you why Israel's salvation and Israel's well-being should be of concern to every Christian. I want to reinforce that in this service, and then the second service, lay out for you with some tremendous encouragement from the word and personal stories why I know that Israel will be saved. So remember that Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He is a learned Jewish man. From birth, he would have had two names as a Jewish man born in a Greek city. From birth, he would have had the name Shaul, his Hebrew name, and Paulus, his Greek name. This was who he was. As he comes to faith, he's known as Shaul. Once he's sent out to the Gentiles, his Gentile name, his Greek name, Paulus, is used. But this brilliant Jewish man who knew that the gospel, Romans 1.16, was to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, he was primarily, in terms of his calling and his ministry and mission, called to the Gentiles. That's where he spent his life. That's where he gave himself. That's where he planted congregations. So when we go into a new city, he would start in the synagogue, but then he'd end up with the Gentile community, and that's who he would preach to and minister to and give his life for. And yet, even though he was the apostle to the Gentiles, he had this continual burden for his people Israel. So look at Romans 9 and consider this. Romans is his foundational letter. So I'm going to be more in a teaching mode than a preaching mode today. Romans is Paul's foundational letter of doctrine. He had not been to Rome yet, and he wanted to make sure that the Roman believers had the foundations down solidly and well. And the church in Rome, the congregation in Rome, like others in the early church, started as Jewish believers. So these Jewish people coming to faith, and now Gentiles start being added to their midst. But you think... Let's say that we were an entirely African-American congregation. Pastoral leadership, everyone in the congregation, African-American. And you come in as a white American, and you're welcome here, but you realize, well, I don't, I don't come from the same culture or background. Or, or conversely, it's an entirely Hispanic church, and you come in maybe as an Asian. Okay, well, I, I know they welcome me here, but I'm kind of from a different culture. So you have this Jewish faith about the Jewish Messiah, these Gentiles start coming in. Where do they fit? Are, are, you know, are they like equal to the others? This is the stuff you're naturally going to go through. If we were in a military town and everyone came in here in their, in their army fatigues or their military fatigues, and you came in here as a civilian, like, I, I don't really fit. Well, what happens is, and, and the book of Acts talks about it, that the emperor Claudius put out an edict. It's around, I think, 42 AD. But he puts out an edict that all Jews must leave Rome. So that included Jewish believers in Jesus. So they all leave Rome. When they come back years later, the congregation in Rome is entirely Gentile. Now the Jews are coming in. Where do they fit? And are they, this, this is the, the background explains some of what Paul's dealing with. So Paul wants to make sure 
that the Roman believers understand the foundations of the faith. So he lays out all the basics, you know, that we've all sinned and fallen short of, of the glory of God, that we're justified by faith. And he, he lays out life in the spirit, overcoming sin, all the biggies, the biggies, the foundations. And then as it's divided now, he spends three whole chapters dealing with Israel. Why? That, that seems to be peripheral. That seems to be secondary. That's not as foundational as all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God or, or we're justified by faith, not by works, or we consider ourselves dead to sin, alive to God. Those are the themes in the earlier chapters. Why so much time here? As one of my colleagues says, if, if you don't understand Israel, you don't understand Paul's gospel. Derek Prince used to teach that Israel is like the top button on the shirt. And if you button that wrong, all the other buttons are off. So, so this is not just for those who have a heart for Israel or those who are Christian Zionists or those who love the Jewish people. No, this is everybody. This is for everybody. And Paul says, I, I speak the truth in Christ. Now remember, he's an apostle, right? All he, could, he could just write. He could just, just write. But notice what he says. I speak the truth. That's emphasis number one. I speak the truth in Christ. Emphasis number two. I'm not lying. Emphasis number three. My conscience confirms it. Emphasis number four. Through the Holy Spirit. Number five. Five different ways he's saying, I am telling you absolute truth without exaggeration in the least. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. It's such an extreme statement from the apostle who writes to us, rejoice always, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. It's such an extreme statement that he wants to make sure that they understand he's not exaggerating. The, the way I've explained it is, it, it's like you have a child in the hospital and I see you and you don't know if the child is going to live or die and they're in terrible pain. Whatever else is going on in your life, if you just got promoted on your job, if, if something special happened with one of your other kids, if, if you have a breakthrough in your own life, it's all wonderful, but you still have a pain all the time. All the time. And that's what Paul's saying. Why? For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Messiah for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Why was this so important to Paul? Why did he have this continual burden? Why should every Christian share this heart for the salvation of Israel? Should we, as God's people, all of us, have a burden for the Great Commission? We're not all called to be missionaries overseas. We're not all called to, to be active in, in reaching people in India or Africa or other parts of the world, but we know that it's important to God for the gospel to go to the whole world, yes? And, and we know that the Lord doesn't return until the gospel has gone to the whole world. So every one of us as a follower of Jesus should have a heart for the Great Commission, even if we ourselves are not specifically called to the mission field. We're all missionaries wherever we live in that respect. In the same way, because this is something of importance to God, all of us should have a heart for Israel. It's gonna manifest itself in different ways, 
But it's because it's important to God, it should be important to us. So let me break down a number of reasons why you as a follower of Jesus should care about Israel's salvation and well-being. It does not mean that you don't care about Palestinian people. It does not mean that everything modern Israel does is right. When, when, when the hor horrific events of two weeks ago took place, the worst shedding of Jewish blood in a single day since the Holocaust, and the most barbaric things that we've ever heard about, and this time captured on video for the world to see and photographs, they're just too grisly to describe. I knew immediately now, and it's obvious that, that Israel has to launch an attack on Hamas, the likes of which they've never done. They have to basically eliminate Hamas, this terrorist group sworn to Israel's destruction, a cousin to ISIS. They, they, they have to go eliminate them, <clears throat> which is going to mean terrible suffering for the Palestinian people. And, and because Hamas is notorious for, for launching weapons from hospitals and, and children's schools and things like that, no matter how careful Israel is, in the end, you're going to have more Palestinian casualties, including women and children, than Israeli. It's, it's a terrible time. So our heart grieves for everyone. And, and we pray for, for God's best for everyone in the region. At the same time, we know that there is something in particular about Israel that should have our attention. So I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. Take less than an hour for each of the next 14 points. I'll give you, I don't know, five, six, seven points. We'll see how far we get. Number one, Israel's salvation and well-being should matter to you because your Savior is a Jew. That's the first reason. These are his people after the flesh. He wept over the city of Jerusalem, knowing what was coming. And his name was Yeshua. Jesus is simply the way that we say it from Hebrew to Greek to Latin, ultimately into English. It, it's, this is how we say it in English. It's perfectly right and fine. For those who say it's a pagan name or it's related to Zeus, it's no more related to Zeus than that Moses is related to a moose. Okay, it's just complete <laughs> nonsense. So that's how we say it in English. But his name is Yeshua. He was a rabbi, not a reverend. He, he was called Christ because Christ is the Greek way of saying Messiah. His mother's name was Miriam. Miriam, his father was Yosef. He had disciples with the names of Yohanan, and Yehuda from Kriot, and Shimon, and Yaakov. All the roots are Jewish, and you are reading writings with the rare exception of, of perhaps Luke, and some even argue Luke was Jewish, basically writings all written by Jews, Israelites. The, the, the laws from Israel, the prophets from Israel, the Psalms from Israel, the Messiah from Israel, the apostles from Israel. And those who are on the outside, those who are not part of the covenant, have now become joint heirs, equal in the Lord, no caste system, no class system, Right? No Jew or Gentile in that regard. We're all one. We're all equal through the blood of the Jewish Messiah. Now, you say, well, okay, that's great, but that was God's plan, and now the gospel's gone to the whole world. Salvation's from the Jews. Now it's gone to the whole world. Why should that matter to us now about Israel and Israel's salvation? So let, let's, let's change this. 
let's say that the chosen people were the Italians and that it was not Jerusalem that was the holy city, but Rome. And Jesus was a good Italian boy named Giuseppe. <laughs> no, no, that's his dad. Sorry. His dad is Giuseppe. His mother, Maria. He's Jesu. That's how you say Jesus in town. Jesu. And he had disciples like Matteo, Marco, and Luca. I've been to Italy 27 times, preached countless messages with translators, and heard all those beautiful Italian names. And let's just say that a remnant of his Italian people receive him, but the leadership rejects him on behalf of the nation, because of which Rome is destroyed, and because of which the Italian people are scattered all around the world and suffer much over the centuries, having rejected Moses. How do you say Moses in Italian? That one I forget. <laughs> but having rejected the law and the prophets and the Messiah. And, and wherever this message goes about the Italian Messiah, it goes to Israel, the, the Jews receive him. And when it, when it goes to the Arab world, the Arabs receive him. When it goes to China, the Chinese receive him. All around the world, hundreds of millions, actually several billion receive him. But his own Italian people reject him. That would burden you. That would concern you. And they're still scattered. And, and the temple in Rome still destroyed. That would burden you. In the same way, these are the relatives of Yeshua after the flesh. These were the ones that Paul says the, the promises came to. The, the verses we read in Romans 9, theirs are the promises. The promises still belong to them. So, so Israel's salvation should matter to you because you have a Jewish Messiah because you are enriched by the promises that God gave to Israel, that you now get to spiritually share those promises while, while the ones to whom the promises came are on the outside still in terms of the fullness, that should burden you. That should concern you. That should be something that matters to you. That's one reason. A second reason is because God specifically chose Israel for a purpose. And if Satan can wipe out Israel, he makes God into a liar. When Moses went to speak to Pharaoh, he spoke these words from the Lord, B'ni B'chori Israel, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And even though God loves each human being on the planet, every human being is important to him, the Psalms tell us he has compassion over all his works, over all that he made. At the same time, he chose Israel for a specific purpose. So you can jot these verses down. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 35 to 37. Jeremiah 31, verses 35 to 37. Look at what's written here. Immediately after the promise of the new covenant, where God said he's making a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not new people, new covenant. Jeremiah 31, beginning verse 35. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day. Okay, let's do a quick survey here. Is the sun still shining today? Let's try that one again. It's no mystery. This is not a trick question. Is the sun still shining today? All right. Who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night? Still happening? Yes. 
who stirs up the sea, yes? Well, you wouldn't know about sea and waves here. Okay. Sarca that was sarcasm. That was New York sarcasm. <laughs> Who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. Wow. So as long as the sun, moon, stars are still there and the sea still roaring, as long as that's happening... Israel will not cease to be a nation before God. Someone might say, whoa, 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 whoa. It doesn't say about sin. What if Israel sins? Okay, keep going. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured, which they can't, and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, which hasn't happened, will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all they have done, declares the Lord. So there is a promise from God to keep the Jewish people as a people, no matter what, as long as this earth endures. If you are the devil, you are quite familiar with that. And not only have you targeted the Jewish people for destruction, because Israel said, that's my son, that's my firstborn. So if it's of special importance to God, it's of special importance to the devil. Not only that, in addition, God said that no matter what, I'm going to preserve the Jewish people as a people. If you are the devil, you want to wipe them out and make God into a liar. There are many reasons for Jewish suffering over the centuries. And, and one is our disobedience and coming under divine discipline. But without question, there is a demonic attack on the Jewish people. When Jews are poor, they get blamed for being poor. When they're rich, they get blamed for being rich. When they're religious, they get blamed for being religious. When they're secular, they get blamed for being secular. I, I did presentations many years ago at two universities, Ivy League schools, one presentation at Yale University and one presentation at Columbia University, and it was on the, the diabolical nature of anti-Semitism. In fact, the second time I did it was when the, the X-Files series was really big. So I called it the paranormal nature of anti-Semitism. And this was a talk I did at the invitation of, of Christian ministries on campus. But when I did the talk, we had professors there. We had student, college grad students, different ones. So we, we had a good gathering of people. It's a very, very sharp people. So in, in the university atmosphere, to come in and talk about God, that's crazy enough, but to come in and talk about the devil, that's really pushing it. But I, in the lecture, I explained the nature of anti-Semitism, how it's the most widespread hatred of all time, and, and how it's the, the most irrational hatred of all time, and of course, how it's the, the longest hatred, and in certain ways, the most vicious. And I said, okay, let's go through the theories. And I went through each different academic theory as to why Jews were hated. And one theory explained, say, points one and two, but not three, four, five. And then the other explained point three, but not one, two, or four, or five. So I went through all of them. I said, none of them explain, none of them connect the dots. You still can't explain why in all these different cultures, why you have Christian anti-Semitism and Muslim anti-Semitism and communist anti-Semitism and fascist anti-Semitism and anti-Semitism in countries that have never seen a Jew. And, and, and I went on and on. I said, none of them connect the dots. 
I said, the only rational explanation is that God chose Israel for a purpose and Satan wants to wipe Israel out. That was my thesis. And I, I remember at Yale, I, I think I fielded questions for two hours and went back and forth, you know, answering the objections and showing why everything fell short. And one of the students came up to me afterwards, a student, a grad said to me, I've never seen the opposition so lovingly demolished. There was just no answer. When I did it at Columbia, if I recall, it was a Swedish gentleman. I'm not sure if he was faculty there or not, or a grad student. He was a bit older. And his parents were Holocaust survivors. And he, he said, I, I have another theory. And as he began, he wasn't quite coming out with what he meant. But finally, I realized, I said, do you mean aliens? He goes, well, yes, yes. Maybe that's the explanation. Maybe aliens are behind anti-Semitism. Even the aliens are anti-Semitic. <laughs> and I, I gave him an explanation why it didn't work. And he said, okay, I accept, good explanation. That's the best anyone else could come up with. Aliens. <laughs> Satan, in a peculiar and distinct way, wants to wipe Jewish people off the map. And, and therefore, it should matter to us. In other words, that's what the devil's doing. Aren't we always on the opposite side of the devil? If the devil wants to do something as God's people, don't we push back against that? So that's the second reason. First, our Messiah, our Savior, is a Jew. And all those who are not Jewish, there is that indebtedness to his people and therefore special prayer for them to come to know him. Secondly, it is Satan who wants to wipe out the Jewish people and therefore... We stand with God against the devil. A third reason is, is back in Romans, Romans 11. Israel's salvation will mean life from the dead. Israel's salvation will mean life from the dead. I mean, picture you've got the world's best team for your race car. You're in NASCAR, and you are the best driver right now in the world. You have the best team in the world. You have the best sponsorship in the world. You have the best car in the world. You have the best engine in the world. But there's been a critical breakdown in this engine, in this multi-million dollar vehicle. There's been a critical breakdown in the engine, and there's one key part that you need, and without this key part, the engine won't start. Even though that part may be $50, you know, if it's, you can't get it except for this one place that it has to be overnighted, you know, it's, if you get that part in, you win the race. You don't have the part, you don't win the race. Israel plays a key role. Israel plays a key role in the plan of God and in the purpose of God. And things will not be fully right until Israel gets things right. So look at what Paul writes in Romans 11, beginning in verse 11. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall, meaning fall beyond recovery? Did the Jewish people who rejected Messiah stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Right, so... The gospel goes to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. 
But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? If Israel getting things wrong has brought salvation to the ends of the earth, what happens when Israel gets things right? We're talking about massive world upheaval. I'm talking to Gentiles, and as much as I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their reconciliation brought, excuse me, if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? We're talking about the return of the Messiah. We're talking about the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead will not happen without Israel's salvation. That's what should matter to every Christian. Let's keep going. Another reason, and this ties in directly, a Jewish Jerusalem must welcome the Messiah back. He will not come back until his own people welcome him. Matthew 23, Matthew 23, beginning in verse 37, Jesus has just pronounced seven woes on the hypocritical religious leaders. Matthew 23, 37, he says, Behold, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, first he mourns, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent you out. How often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under wings, but you weren't willing. Behold, your house has left you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, we welcome you, King Messiah. These were the words that they spoke when he made his triumphal entry on what we call Palm Sunday. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We welcome you, King Messiah. He says, you won't see me again until you welcome me. You know, it, it, it's like a father puts the kid out of the house, has some wrong attitude to the kid, puts the kid out of the house at 18, won't talk to him. Ten years go by, and it's all the father's fault. And he sends another brother, another sister, hey, go talk to your brother. Tell him maybe we can talk. Maybe we can, and, and the son sends the message back, when dad wants to talk to me, let him talk to me. You know, I, I don't want someone else to send him out. I, I want, when dad wants to talk, we'll talk. When David had to flee for his life from Absalom, when his son stole the throne, now Absalom is killed in battle, and the tribes of Israel begin to say, you know, David was our warrior. David was our king. I mean, he was, he fought our battles, and, and, and we... You know, we, should, we should invite him back. We did a wrong thing by following Absalom and rejecting him. So they begin to write him letters, but he doesn't get a letter from his own tribe of Judah. And he writes to the elders of Judah and says, why should you be the last to welcome the king back? Why should you be the last to welcome the king back? He was not going to come back and reign as king until the people from his own tribe welcomed him. It's the same with Messiah. He will not come back to Jerusalem until his own people welcome him back to Jerusalem, signifying the leadership of the people. Therefore, if we want him to return, when he comes, Revelation 1-7, every eye will see him. If we want him to return, 
then that means this gospel must go to the whole world, and it means that a Jewish Jerusalem must welcome him back. If you're the devil, you want to wipe the Jewish people out. If you can't wipe the Jewish people out, you certainly want to keep them out of Jerusalem. If you can't keep them out of controlling Jerusalem, you want to keep them away from Yeshua. So this is the ultimate spiritual battleground, the salvation of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And, and there is no city on earth like Jerusalem. When, when, when we do tours there, I, I don't do tours a lot, just, just only four over the years, but sometimes the, the opening night orientation, I'll, I'll just tell the people, listen, there is something called Jerusalem syndrome. It, it's an actual condition. You can look it up. There are hospitals in Jerusalem that specialize in this, mental hospitals. And people are there, Christian tourists, and somehow they come under delusion. And, you know, a guy thinks he's Elijah the prophet. Or a woman thinks she's Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, and normally after a few days, they, they kind of come to their senses and go home very embarrassed. But there, there's no city like it. And I, I would just warn people in advance that you're not Elijah, you know, in case you start feeling like Just have a little fun with it. But, it. but it's unique. It's unique in many ways. It's the ultimate final spiritual battleground. And, and therefore, we that, what's going to turn the tide? What's going to make the difference? The prayers of the church. Prayers of the church. And, and another reason why this should matter to you is, is, is Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62, God says to give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem as the praise of the whole earth. Give him no rest until he established Jerusalem as the praise of the whole earth. And he's appointed watchmen on the walls, intercessors, to give themselves no rest and give him no rest until Jerusalem becomes the praise of all the earth. How does Jerusalem become the praise of all the earth? By the Messiah returning to Jerusalem. And remember, he's, he's not returning somewhere else. He's returning to Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where everything culminates. So I don't understand how we could love the God of the Bible, revere the words of the Bible, and not take this seriously. Well, just some people have a burden. Some people have a particular burden, but all of us should have some burden. So it, the Messiah that has saved you is a Jew. He was born king of the Jews. He died king of the Jews. He returns as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root and the offspring of Jesse. As far as his human nature, he remains a Jew. And all Gentile Christians, you partake in the spiritual riches of the inheritance of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the people of Israel, and the Jewish Messiah. Israel's salvation means life from the dead. Satan wants to wipe out the Jewish people. The Jewish Jerusalem must welcome him back. These, these are some of the many reasons why Israel's salvation and Israel's well-being should matter to you. But let me leave you with, with one last reason. When I came to faith late in 1971, and then my dad saw the radical and dramatic change in my life, he, he said, Michael, I'm glad you're off drugs, but we're Jews, we don't believe this. So he brought me to meet the local rabbi. Local rabbi and I became friends, and we've interacted over the years, almost 50 years later, over 50 years later, still been in occasional contact. He was about 11 years older than me, so he'd be late 70s now. And one of the first things he did was he lent me a book, which 
ended up being a gift. I still have it. <laughs> he lent me a book on anti-Semitism in church history. And it was explaining why, of course, Jews could not believe in Jesus. And, and in, in fact, I still have, just realize now, I still have in the front of this Bible a, a copy of the letter that he put in the book. And, and, and in it, he, he said, I, I'm, I'm lending, you, <laughs> lending you this book. <laughs> So that as you read its pages, you can share in the thousands of years of agony your people have undergone for the sake of the almighty God of Israel and his absolute unity. Perhaps it will touch a note in your heart which will help you realize what your destiny on earth is to be. As you read it, please keep these verses in mind. So Isaiah 25, which he writes out in Hebrew, how the Lord will wipe away every tear from every eye. Zechariah 14, 9, and that day the the Lord will be one and his name one. And then Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. He said, I, he said, together with millions of your martyred brethren, these words, I pray our God, give you the inner strength to face the truth no matter what the consequences. I mean, it's interesting that that's been a lot of my life calling, to face the truth no matter what the consequences. But his whole point was you can't possibly as a Jew believe in this one because he is the source of so much suffering through our history. And that's because so many Christians, in Jesus' name, did evil to the Jewish people. Spoke evil. Offered them baptism or death. Obviously, some of them weren't true Christians, but many are well-known, famous Christians. And one of the biggest reasons that many Jews don't believe in Jesus is because of church history. Thankfully, for decades now, especially evangelical Christians in America and other nations, for decades have demonstrated an unconditional love for Israel and the Jewish people, have recognized that it's God who brought the Jewish people back to the land, have recognized in a unique way they were called to stand with him. And what's astonishing to me is as I've traveled the world, been outside of the U.S. a couple hundred times, as I've traveled the world to meet people in the most obscure places, you know, outlying places in India and Africa and, and, and find out that the Christians there, when they got saved, God put a supernatural love in their heart for Jewish people. They'd never met a Jew. Most cases, I was the first Jew they ever met. Some cases, the first white person they had seen. I'm going to talk about obscure areas, and here, God had put it in their heart to pray for Israel and love Israel. And, and, and I've, I've told rabbis, this rabbi, as well as others, I wish I could take you with me around the world to meet these Christians who have a supernatural love for Israel. I've, I've met ex-Muslims, ex-Muslim terrorists, seriously, who now are Jesus-loving people, passionate, passionate for Israel. I remember I was in, I was in Germany, and, and these, these refugees from Syria came up to me, all former Muslims, they wanted me to know how much they love Israel. Uh, when I was uh, in, in Fort Worth a couple of weekends ago, talking to, uh, talking to former devout Muslims from Iran, a husband and a wife, when they came to faith, God put a tremendous love in their heart for Israel. It's the, it's the opposite of what church history has shown. And as this Orthodox rabbi said on my radio show, if you have the app, just listen to the, the show from Thursday, an, Orthodox, an urgent update from an Orthodox rabbi in Israel. When... 
he was on the air with me, he, he wanted it to be known that Christian support and love for Israel is making a massive difference in Jewish perceptions about Christianity. Massive difference. God showed me years ago that it was only tears of love that could remove the stain of blood. Let me say this again. It does not mean that we don't have a heart for the salvation of other nations. Out of my 200 trips outside of the United States, only 18 have been to Israel. So I've been to, I've been to Israel maybe 18 times. I've been to India 28 times. Italy 27 times. So I'm going to the nations. Grads from our ministry school are serving as missionaries all over the world. Very few in Israel, but they all have a heart for Israel. They all have a burden for Israel. It does not mean that we ignore the suffering of the Palestinians. It does not mean that we endorse everything Israel does. It means that we have God's heart for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, and you see in times past, as I bring this to a close, in times past, the church leaders would have this compassionate outreach to the Jews because they'd see how the church had treated the Jews. And we have to do better. And when the Jewish people didn't respond the right way, when they didn't all come to faith, when they continued to reject the gospel, these Christian leaders turned on them. And I remember my main professor at NYU when I was getting my, my master's and PhD saying to class one day, you know, we're, we appreciate the love of these Christians, but it's a bit of a backhanded compliment to us. And we wonder when we don't perform the way we're supposed to. When we don't fit in with your prophetic expectations or all become Christians, are you going to do to us what, what other Christian leaders have done? Well, well, that was now close to 40 years ago, and the answer is no. The unconditional love is there. The unconditional love is there. The unconditional love is there. Whether Jewish people respond to the gospel or not, it's just like you're going to feed the poor whether they respond or not. If they hear your message or not, they still have need. You're going to help them. So I appeal to you to ask God to share his heart with you concerning the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There is a Christian Zionism that is so zealous to stand with Israel that it stops evangelizing entirely or doesn't believe in evangelism. That's, that's another big error. The, the, the worst thing you could do is withhold the gospel from the Jewish people. It doesn't mean that everyone's involved in frontline evangelism. In other words, you may be involved in Israel and your whole role is, is to help the needy. So you sign a commitment that you're not there to evangelize. I get that. But you support those and pray for those who do. So ask God in this critical hour that he would share his heart with you. When you have demonstrations like in England over the, the weekend, 100,000 Muslims demonstrating against Israel, demonstrations all around the world, this, this brings to the surface what's in people's hearts. It brings to the surface some of the, some of the hatred, some of the anti-Semitism. It, it's absolutely mind-boggling with the most horrific slaughter of, of, of babies and, and children Innocent women, men just with their families. The most horrific slaughter that, that we've seen. Barbarous deeds that we've not heard of before. I mean, who heard of decapitating babies? That rather than worldwide sympathy for Israel, there are worldwide protests against Israel. Th this reveals the demonic nature of anti-Semitism and what we're up against. And it's the church that's going to make the difference. I also appeal to you. As God lays it on your heart, it may be once in a month or once in six months or it may be every day, pray for us. Pray for our ministry. We are on the front lines in many unique ways. God's called me and our ministry to be like a lightning rod that attracts all the attack and all the junk and all the criticism. 
You'd be amazed at what, what comes our way uh, by nature of attack literally every single day, sometimes by the minute. And, and I'm blessed. I'm, I'm sheltered by the grace of God and called to this, but I know it's the prayers of God's people that help us not only be effective, but thrive in the midst of it. So let's stand together in this critical hour for the salvation and well-being of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That God would be glorified, that multitudes would come to know him, and that he would protect them from every satanic plot and ploy until that day. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for their heart. Lord, I know what I brought today is not something new and foreign, but I ask you to take things deeper Give us understanding, give us insight. As the believers here deal with friends and colleagues that see things differently, may they have words to say, to articulate, to change hearts and change minds. And have mercy right now. Lord, have mercy. May there be minimal suffering and minimal bloodshed. May this not expand into a bloody world war. Lord, may you bring right now Jew and Muslim, Palestinian, Christian, others, everyone turning to you together with one heart, one soul, and recognizing Jesus, Yeshua, as the only way. Pour your grace and mercy on those hurting and agony and terrible pain. Be glorified in the midst of it. Bring beauty out of ashes, we pray. In Yeshua's name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Amen. Wasn't that awesome, guys? Amen. Be blessed. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday and come back next week. If you can, if I was you, I would stick around. If not, make sure you listen to the second part today. I think it's going to be important. We love you. Go in the peace of God and we'll see you next week. Thank you.